Hello there and welcome back to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. You should be used to us by now, but if you're not, my name's Laz and on the screen opposite me is our other co-host, Mr. Felipe. How you doing, bro? Oh, good, bro. I hope everyone is doing well. Good, good, good. What are you up to today? Anything special? Oh, well, nothing special. Just the same old gigging and teaching, you know, yeah. as every week. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you have got your rugby or whatever. I do. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Number one today. How Soho? Is it hustling and bustling? Yes, as usual. I mean, people, you just don't have the usual, like, um, uh, boozers outside, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you don't have people drinking outside anymore because <laughs> it's really cold. Because of the weather, yeah. <laughs> they, they migrate into the pubs then. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so now they have now they have to deal with my band. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a new slogan. We say we're less miserable than the weather. <laughs> so you, you better listen to us than just stay outside. <laughs> less miserable than the weather. That's a brilliant headline. Um, right, well, we're doing another album episode today. Felipe, do you want to introduce the album? And since you chose it, why don't you tell us why you chose it? Yes, uh, as you might have noticed, I even dressed up for this episode. Um, because it's a, it's for, a listeners, for listeners, he does look very sharp. He's got a lovely shirt on, a nice sort of waistcoat as well. So he's yeah, yeah, fully in the part you know, today. Exactly. Oh, I, it could have been because I just collapsed in bed after my gig with the gig outfit. But no, I dressed up for the episode. We'll go for the dressing up for the episode as the excuse. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> then you can edit that part out. Uh, so uh, the album is Selling England by the Pound by Genesis. Yeah. So um, that was released in 1973 and it's the fifth studio album uh by this amazing prog rock band okay tell you that yeah why prog rock band we're gonna go about it uh in a minute so uh it, it was number three in the united states oh sorry in the united kingdom and number 70 in the united states it wow. might there might be a reason for that right yeah isn't they might it, be british yeah <laughs> isn't it way too english for the americans maybe you know yeah. no, no offense guys but it's uh it's just a cultural thing isn't it it's like the the lyrics have so many references about uh the uk especially england really and uh but also scotland but you know this is it's it's a very 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 english album i would say yeah so um and for those who are used to genesis as a pop band with phil collins on vocals and for those of you who are used to listen to peter gabriel singing sledgehammer no this is like this is a, a complete different Peter Gabriel as a lead singer in a prog rock band and Phil Collins as, uh, what a drummer, you know, like yeah. an amazing drummer. And uh, by the, I think when he became a lead singer, prog rock has lost one of one of its best drummers. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny, though, because with this album, um, let me just think about where to start when I say this. Um the the genesis discography how would you say this compares to maybe the album before and the album after uh that's well it's got elements of both because they were still kind of doing the same sort of stuff i think this one is a bit more folk because i think the album before was foxtrot the album that's true yes the, the lamb goes down on broadway is that it okay uh, you write about foxtrot but I don't, I don't know about the one yeah, after. yeah i think it was before. Yeah, because they, they had this, well, um, they were doing prog rock basically, you know, or, or you can't say just basically for prog rock, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not basic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the whole idea of like um, complex time signatures, long songs and uh, experimentation, that has been one of their characteristics. And the one thing about this album for me that stands out is that uh, Steve Hackett is is the hero here really and i would say it's it's more about him and tony banks the piano player uh than the other guys in my opinion although everyone plays uh to a ridiculous level um but yeah i think i think this album i think they went uh i think they went really far in a good way in, in terms of uh, musicianship i think they, mm. they play better they explore their their individual skills yeah, more than in 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 the other albums. My opinion. So, so why did you choose this album? What does this album mean to you, like on a personal note or or a professional note? 
Uh, well, on a personal note, because that for me started with me going to a um, record shop back in Brazil to buy CDs. See, I'm you know I'm from the CD generation, <laughs> and uh, it's just where well, I had some some vinyls, but I'm more like CD generation. So yeah. uh, I used to go to this this um, record shop and talk to the the owner like for hours, and he would introduce me to bands. All sorts of stuff from pop rock to heavy metal. But he was a massive prog rock fan. He would be going on about those bands. And then I said to him, listen, if I have money for just one prog rock album, which one should I buy? And he didn't hesitate. He just grabbed the CD and said, take it. And, you know, if you can't pay me now, you can pay me later. But that this is the <laughs> one you need. And wow. I bought the album. I got home and I wasn't disappointed. And it's, um, I mean, it's, that was like my earliest memory. The other thing is uh, I was uh, I was trying to, <laughs> to convert my cousins into the uh, rock and roll church, you know, like trying to, I was, <laughs> I was very like, uh, I was very excited about rock music when I was a teenager and I tried to convince all my friends to listen to rock music. Right. So listening to Deep Purple and Emerson Lake and Palm and all that stuff. And um, so I played this album to one of my cousins and he was like, he wasn't impressed. And then when the second song started, his mum, my auntie, she came into the living room and started dancing and singing along. I said, oh, I remember that one. What oh, a beautiful wow. song. It's the song <laughs> I know what I like. Yeah. So, uh, so, so it's it's so that <coughs> showed me that um, the album survived uh, the test of time, and also, um, it's 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 got some some interesting uh, uh, bits of pop music in it that everyone can relate to. That's, yeah. But, but here's a prog rock album. Here's a rock album. Yeah. There's loads and loads of 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 uh, uh, musicianship and 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 advanced guitar techniques and, it, and that, all that stuff that, that musicians like when they listen to that kind of music. And um, and the, the the lyrics, man, I still don't get it. I mean, I've been in this country for eight years and uh, the, the references, I, I'm just about like grasping the references and the lyrics. So I understand why someone who is not English wouldn't buy. That's why number three in England, number 70 and the US, you know, <laughs> that explains gap, a lot. It? It's a big gap, you know. But it's funny, it's, it's really funny what you were saying about pop because uh, so let me tell you what I know of Genesis. I know uh, that they're one of my dad's favorite bands. I know that right. they are a prog rock band. I know that they've mm. got some long songs and that they do this and they do that and it's quite proggy. I also know about songs like uh, Follow You, Follow Me. Uh, oh, yeah. What album is that from? It's called And Then There Were Three, I think. I know that song. I know the song Land of Confusion because another heavy metal band called Disturbed covered it. And that really is all I know of Genesis. But I, when, when you suggested well, this album, that, yeah. go on. No, no, because that, that's the pop version of Genesis, isn't it? It's yes. another, another yes. incarnation of the band. You're right. But having said all that, what really, really surprised me on this album is when you compare it with the likes of Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Yes, King Crimson, even Pink Floyd to an extent. We know that they're more rock than prog, but, you know, that, that group of sort of British prog bands. The, the blend of pop that they have in theirs is so much more than any others. And yeah. you've got this alternating. You've got one long 10-minute prog song. Then you've got a short three-and-a-half-minute pop song. Then you've got another long prog song. There may be an instrumental, then another pop song. And I just found myself marvelling more than anything at the fact that we were hearing synth heavy, keyboard heavy, soft poppy vocals heavy, prog music in 1973. I yeah. think there is a moment in each song where you could take out 30 seconds of a chorus or where um, Peter Gabriel's singing in a section, and you could say, wow, that sounds like 80s pop. Yeah, it was yeah. done in 1973 by a predominantly prog band. So, yeah, and that shows you that both Phil Collins and, and Peter Gabriel, they already had the skills to create 80s pop music. Yeah. You know, for the good and the bad. I mean, they uh, <laughs> they were the guys who were leading that transition. and all. 
obviously after Peter Gabriel left Genesis and then he became Phil Collins' band, really. He became the band leader. He became the, the you know, the the voice of the band, and uh, and it's it's obviously not the same band. Yeah. You, you you have the singer on lead vocal, or drummer or, as the lead singer, and the singer left to a solo career. So you 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 don't you can't just call it the same band. I mean, it's it, yeah, it has the same name, but the you know the Genesis after Peter Gabriel is a completely different thing. If I'm not wrong, I don't even know the name of the album. But the first album they recorded with uh, Phil Collins on vocals, still very like prog rock. So, but but so it's obviously they don't yeah. change now. Uh, well, he, he took over in 1975. Yeah, that's it. So a couple like two singer. years after this album. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so so the thing is, um, is an amazing singer, of course. Peter Gabriel though has this theatrical quality to his vocals, right? He does different voices, he impersonates right, characters. Yes. And if you check any footage from that time, okay, that's another reason why I chose this album. I had a VHS. Uh, really? uh, of the sh- of the show, uh, I think they played the whole. I think it's on YouTube. I'm, I'll send you the link so you can add to the to the show. Uh, but the um, so they played this whole album or most of it, and they start with uh, um, the first song, "Dancing with the Moonlight Night," and and you've got this the band. They they have no stage presence at all. So everyone like they all. <laughs> <laughs> they they look bored, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, Phil Collins looks really focused on you know playing his drums, and everyone else like Steve Hackett just sitting on his amp or or on a chair. I don't remember for the whole gig. Really? There's a move, and then you have this majestic figure of Peter Gabriel dressed as a knight. Wow! Like this beautiful figure with the makeup, with everything, and he's he's the character from start to finish. And he is the show. Right. I see. It's it's incredible. And what he says before the first song is one thing, uh, is the thing I sent you. Can you read that with your oh. best King's English? Is it King's English now? Yes, it has to be, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. So this is this is what this is what Phil uh, Peter Gabriel would say before the show. Yes, exactly. He would introduce Dancing with the Moonlight Night with those lines. Here we go. Hi. I'm in the English Channel. It is cold, exceedingly wet. I am the voice of Britain before Daily Express. My name is Britannia. This is my song. It is called Dancing with the Moonlit Night. Yeah. Boom. What do you think? It's interesting. I I mean, it's quite... um, I'm just looking at this, and you've got a lot of characteristics of England summed up in this paragraph. You've got the English Channel, the exceedingly wet, the Daily Express, you know, the voice of Britain. Yeah. My name is Britannia, you know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, interesting. I mean, what, what do you think of that? Of that little well, what, I, I, well, you should you should know better than me. But I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you what, what he says. My name is Britannia. I think uh, uh, the character himself is is the culture of the country, isn't it? It's the yeah. and it's a bit of a mistake of you know the traditional English values and all that stuff. Uh, but also maybe an acknowledgement of of English history. I don't know. I don't know what he well, means by that. Really, do you know? I don't. I don't want to patronise you in any way, but it seems yeah. like I know something about this album that you might not. Do you know mm. what it's about? And do you know why it's titled this way? I think it came from a Labour Party manifesto. It did, but the whole yes. point of the album was because Genesis felt that um, traditional English uh, culture was dropping and the rise of Americanism around the early 70s. So this, this Were they not right? What? I mean, they were right. You know, yeah, I can yeah. just go around the corner and grab my Starbucks if I want. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, and this yeah, is like they are fifty years ago, it. isn't it? But yeah, exactly. that goes with what you're saying. You know, my, what did you say? My name is Britannia. Um, what? What did you follow? You just said you thought Britannia was the character. Yeah, I mean, he says a, my name failing, is Britannia. Of a yeah, failing, so movie, did you say or something? Exactly. So he, he's claiming to be the voice of of the kingdom, isn't it? So yeah. I am Britannia. So for yes. me, that's that's him, like incorporating the culture of the UK. As That's a it. person, yeah, as yeah. a character, so so every so it, it it feels to me like this is really really tricky because it almost falls into the territory of concept albums, but I don't think it's 
quite that because because the, yeah. the lyrics are not connected uh, to themselves as a as one long story or yeah. or one big theme, but there are similarities and there's reference of folk music everywhere and there's there's there are things that connect to the, the, the songs and the lyrics, but no, I wouldn't call it a concept album. But there is a concept about yeah. this album. It's you know? <laughs> a great point, man. I think <laughs> um, I think something you said um, earlier, which I would touch on later. I've meant, I've got it in my little last mm-hmm. blog, but um, it's very, very theatrical, very theatrical, yeah. and very dramatic. Like one thing I've noticed about the album, and again, I, I'll sort of touch upon this when I do my my thing at the end. Throughout the songs, especially the proggy songs, what I found really, really cool that took me by surprise compared to other uh, prog bands is how much time they allow certain sections of music to breathe and just fully... Oh, what am I trying to say? To fully let their purpose be felt. I feel with other prog music very very quick these bands to go into a solo to go into a seven eight section to go into some odd yeah. type signature genesis in all of the long songs dancing with the moonlit light uh firth of fifth battle of epping forest cinema show they all had moments where they would sit on one one riff one four bar repeat of music and repeat it over and over for two minutes yeah and then once that had sunk in then they transitioned to the solo. And I felt that was very theatric because it's almost like if you close your eyes and you're hearing the music, well, nothing's changing in the music. You're just going over the same chords or the same riff, whatever, you know, for a minute and a half. You can imagine something happening on a stage. You know, yes. the, battle, the Battle of Epping Forest. You can imagine a little battle happening between these gangs. I'm sure we'll get to the content of the song later. But because these songs, because they give two minutes to this bit of music and they say, you know what, this, this bit of music, you do your thing. You let the, your listener fully engage for a minute and a half and nothing else needs to be done because that's what music is. I, exactly. And I feel like those long sections when they transition from one part to another and uh, and it's just almost too quiet sometimes you know <laughs> so they come from the, it's like the, the, there's an explosion and then they just melt into this like really quiet section and there's a flute that happens in, in several songs does, yeah and yeah and uh so you have the elements of classical music and folk yeah but the interesting thing about that is it sounds like a soundtrack you know when you're watching a movie and there's a scene going on yeah. And you have that music in the background that not all is not always intended to be loud and aggressive. Sometimes it's just like it's just background music. Yeah. So it sounds to me that it's not <clears throat> it's not a soundtrack for a movie, it's a soundtrack for a book. That's how I see it. Because it's yeah, it's proper sto- the way that the storytelling style of the lyrics for me is like a storybook. It's not like it's not like a movie or or or, or maybe not even a theater. Yeah. That's you know? oh, interesting, man. I mean <clears throat> The album starts off extremely folky. The first yeah. vocal melody you hear is sort of reminiscent of like an Irish folk song or something. Um, but then what What? What really intrigued me, and I mentioned about this pop thing, I will do my best. I don't know this genre well enough. It's called Neo Soul, and it kind of started right. coming back. I don't know if you remember, when we were at, when we were at uni, people started yes. crazy over everyone it. was... Everyone was going on about exactly this. this early 2010s, mid 2010s, and what you're talking about here is how would you characterize neo soul? Because it's kind of like I wouldn't say odd time signatures, but unorthodox beats with clean guitars that play loads of notes, and then normally um, a vocal coming over the top. Yeah. I think that's what it is, isn't it? I think it summed it up it is, uh, yeah. really well. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, so, yeah, I think that, that all I wanted to say is that. At 1 minute 20 of Dancing with the Moonlit Night, unorthodox, odd time signatures that sounds exactly like a piece of neo-soul music I'd heard a few years ago, but happened in Genesis's 1973 album. I'm going to try and find a neo-soul song that vaguely resembles what I'm talking about to put in the playlist to you guys. Um, But yeah, just a little, and it comes back at the end. Um, Isle of Plenty. Because it's yeah, that cool. is you the, know that yes, exactly the last. So it's like the start and end. It's a two-minute song, which could have been just the last bit 
of the first song. So that exactly. that is that is where you really get into uh, concept album uh, territory, isn't it? Yes. You yeah. have you, you could you could loop the album and the last song would kind of uh, you know uh, uh, blend into the first one. The first. I mean, yeah, exactly. Which um, you couldn't do with a vinyl, but you can do with CD or, or streaming. No, yeah, um, you're right. <laughs> yeah. What um? What do you want to talk about now? I mean, did you want well, to man, talk I, about any particular song? I wanted, yeah, I wanted. When you said that they um, allowed themselves to to stay on those sections for as long as it takes, yeah. uh, that, there's a, there's a, a quote from Tony Banks, uh, keyboard player, that um, sums it up. So this is exactly what he says in an interview with Genesis: "We just did what appealed to us. Really, we didn't worry too much." how other people were going to respond to it. You know, yeah. freedom, freedom. You do whatever Beautiful you want to freedom. do. Exactly. And they were clearly like, they were clearly <laughs> in their own world. Like, well, we're going to do this. And uh, and in this case, he, he was actually talking about um, that song. Is it Firth or Fifth? <laughs> I don't uh, pronounce yeah, that. Firth or Fifth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, too, it's too much for, for my um, for my accent. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, that is, uh, yeah, we're going to get into the songs then. Why not? So so the first song, yeah, the first song is where the uh, uh, the references start. Um, is it Wimpy Dreams that he, he mentioned in, in the song? And it's, uh, uh, I didn't know it was a popular fast food restaurant in England, so... Wimpy's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wimpy dreams. So he says that. So is it, or it could be also a reference to Wimpy Homes, a property development company in England as well. Right, so we don't know, but it's see if if I mean I had to research that. You know, so it's those, those references. Not 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 everyone can grasp. It's not yeah. not a simple thing. And uh, and the line he says uh, uh, live at the beginning of the song. When he goes, you know, oh, you know, uh, uh, I'm the voice of Britain before Daily Express, you know. So that is uh, uh, when he's going on about that, all those references and stuff. Uh, it, it just in the live concert of the album, he sets the, the 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 scene for the audience. And I, one thing I found brilliant is he finishes that that line at the beginning. He's talking, talking, and. Out of the blue, he just starts. Can you tell me where my country lies? And it just goes. And it's like, wow. And that's what I found. Uh, I think, um, I would dare to say this, is probably my favorite opening track of rock music. I just wow, that, think it's... Wow, because it's a huge statement. It is just shocking, you know. I would, I would say Highway Star, War Pigs are great as well for different yeah. reasons. This one for me is like, it's just vocals and then the guitar comes in. It's very subtle. Yeah. On the second is. verse, when the piano joins them, just that one extra layer of instrument, it takes the song to a completely different level and yeah. it's deep and it's like, it, give, it gives me the goosebumps. I, I was listening to the album this week and I listened again this morning before the show and every time I listen to the song, it, it, it's uh, I'm impressed by this one, yeah. every single time. One it's of those beautiful songs. Yeah, interesting thing about it though is you can hear the tapping technique on guitar, which you might be able to describe better than me. Uh, what is a tapping on guitar? So, so what's when? It, yeah, so so it's, it's it's basically fretting down on a on a on a. It's, it's putting your finger down on a fret as if you're going to play it with a pick. And there's two kinds of ways to tap. You can then play the note with the pick and then with your left hand, use one of your other fingers. So if you're using your index finger on a fret, you play the note with a pick in your right hand and you're fretting with your left hand. And then before you finish playing that note, you put another finger on your left hand down um, to then play the next note up. The alternative to that is having your left index finger on a fret and using your right index finger to tap on the yeah. fretboard closer to the so you're not picking down by the pickups or down the bottom end of the guitar you're coming almost to match where your other index finger is and you tap alternating using your both your index fingers on the fretboard just go and search any van halen video to have a look to see Ex probably what it's about exactly so that's it so basically i mean you you, you went really technical there i like that that's a really detailed <laughs> explanation basically you got both hands on the fretboard so he just not version, does he 
the both hands. Well, he does that. He does that, but I think he does with the plectrum. Instead, oh, of course, yes. Which yeah, is yeah. a really, really interesting thing. He does the tapping thing using the plectrum because I saw the video. That's why uh, yeah. uh, I believe is what he's doing. But as you said, those uh, those kind of techniques they became famous with Van Halen. So uh, uh, Steve Hackett was ten years ahead of his time because I don't know if anyone else was using that that sort of techniques at this time. So you are a heavy metal fan. Can you can you hear? <laughs> Uh, uh, the basis of heavy metal guitar play in this album. Absolutely, man. The following, um, not not the rhythm. Yes, guitar, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Yeah, there's there's eruption from 1978. Van Halen debuts out uh, debut album. That was the kind of cornerstone for for heavy metal guitar to kind of change and to to see what else could be done with it with your pinch harmonics your dive bombs your wah-wah pedals all that stuff but before that you've got to look you know guitar tapping it really started coming into fruition in the 1980s after like i said eruption but before that you've got the likes of santana in 1970 with hope you're feeling better you've got genesis with the musical box in 1971 steve hackett again doing his thing queen it's late from 1977 judas priest hellbent for leather 1979 all these first instances of guitar tapping and you said about it with genesis but here he did it before he did it two years before a song called the musical box in 1971 all right so i did so listen to that so it's probably um well someone might have done it before we will never know but it's probably the first um rock yeah yeah, and the first recording of that in rock music, isn't it? The first yeah. re- recorded song with that. So, uh, I mean, he's still a reference, and uh, he was uh, recently touring, Stephen Hackett, with his band, playing early Genesis stuff. And yeah. for loads of the, 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 the old-school Genesis fans, they said, that's a proper Genesis gig. That's the Genesis we want to see, which right. is Stephen Hackett's solo career with the band just playing Genesis uh, uh, arrangements as the original versions, none of the pop stuff, of course, because he wasn't part of it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it's like yeah, amazing. So, from that amazing uh, prog rock uh, uh, first song, you go straight into I Know What I Like, which is almost like I, I've, I've heard people say it's almost like a glam rock. Thing. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's it just it's it's a pop song essentially. It is. That one, it is isn't it? I, I hear I hear very Beatles esque verse, dual yeah. vocal harmonies going on. Like I think there's a sitar in there as well. Uh, if it's not a sitar, then it's definitely a guitar trying to sound like a sitar. But it definitely has that Beatles vibe. And actually, um, the riff was rejected by Genesis for the album before because the guy said it sounds too much like the Beatles. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> the opening riff. I think they I think they sort of tweaked it and then made it come back. But yeah, again, and this is very reflective what I hear of the eighties pop, the that synth. Yeah, I know what I like. And you got that really it's not overproduced, but it's just the typical sound that like I'm not even gonna try and do the impression of it, but you just hear it in the chorus that synth that's going on behind. Very characteristic of Genesis and their pop sound, isn't it? But also very characteristic of pop in the eighties. And this is what the first thing I'm getting from this song. Beatles-esque verse with dual vocal harmonies. Um, a very reflective of 80s pop with the keyboards. And I think you're hearing that in this 1973 pop song. Yeah. Yeah. And it's <laughs> amazing again. Like uh, the, you, you can hear the innovation in that, you know, and uh, yeah. and the lyrics. Uh, so that's, that's the one I think uh, it's very, very easy to understand. Not very complicated references. And he's this again very theatrical. He's describing characters and how they interact with with each other. And the main character, I love that. Like it's it's, uh, it's just like a, a working class guy. It's it's, yeah. it's you know a lone mower. And is and it is uh, it, the album cover is it's based or this song is based on the album cover, which was a painting by an artist called Betty Swanick. Uh, I hope I pronounced it correctly. Uh, the, the painting is called the dream. Uh, so that character wasn't there. Uh, and they asked her to add him to the painting. Ah. And, and then they, you know, there was, a, so that's a different version of the original painting with that character. And it's basically this guy just saying, look, this is, this is how I live my life. 
I don't want to go beyond this. You know, it's, I'm happy the way I am. And people keep telling me what to do or how to improve in life and this and that. It just doesn't want it. So I know what I uh, like and I like what I know I what I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's cool. Nice little message. Um, from, from that track, you go into Firth of Fifth, which, I mean, I have to say that the, the, the piano at the start of this man is just sublime. And actually, unusually, this week I've been, I've sort of re, um, started listening to the classical stuff I like again. Um, Beethoven, Schubert, Brahms, Bach. And to hear piano played like this. It's beautiful. It almost fits in. <laughs> I'm yeah, well, like, it's, a bit of Beethoven, bit of Brahms, bit of Schubert, bit of Genesis. Why not? Because it's just so it's, fantastically executed. It's classical. And it was intended to be a piano piece on its own. So really? it was written. Yeah, it was written previously, like no, not for the album. And then again, is when uh, uh, that's uh, that that quote I, I I said from Tony Banks is about this song. Like they yes. they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted, regardless of uh, someone else's opinion. And I, and so I actually he said, made oh, a if note I wanted, about the space yeah. given to instruments in this song. Oh right, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is this okay. is so like what the guy said. I agree that this song, they they fantastically give the space to the instruments. And it's, yeah, it's about everyone, isn't it? And it, it could have been an instrumental song if they wanted to. There's, there's yeah. so much to it. You, you don't, you, it's almost like you don't need the vocals. But then again, when Peter Gabriel is singing, you just have to listen. He's just yeah. brilliant. like all And, and the vocals, it's, it, it, the, everything just kicks in, isn't it, after uh, um, after the piano intro. So it feels yeah. like it's going to be a, a classical piece. And it's and then the whole band just comes in and it's explosive. You know, it's, well, they it's come brilliant. in with kind of like a yeah. hard rock riff with that distorted yeah. descending guitar. So the, the mood changes quite quickly. Um, but I think it's a fantastic song. My, my favorite of the album, if I'm being honest. It's, it's a brilliant really like song. It. It's, it's, it's regarded as one of the best prog rock songs ever written. And, and, and really? Uh, yeah. I, I when Genesis, yeah. Yeah. When Janet's, Janet's uh, did the, uh, the recent reunion tour or the last tour, with uh, Phil Collins on vocals, they didn't have Peter Gabriel back to the band, so they're still doing the pop stuff. But they've played this intro, and right. they've played that because it's it's so iconic. They need to play. It's just one of those things they need to do. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, you have uh, both talking about time signatures. You have thirteen, sixteen, and fifteen, sixteen time signatures on that intro. It's like if, for anyone who's a musician, that is completely insane. Yeah, you know, is. and it's because okay, he's playing on his own, so uh, uh, probably he didn't even think about time signatures. It's just uh, like you know, hammering the piano in any way he wanted to, yeah. and, and it's just and it sounds amazing. And I've heard uh, even when we went to music university, I've heard you know, I've, I've listened to people practicing that on, on a piano because it's it's one of those things. If you are a piano player, you just need to know the song. Yeah, it yeah, is fantastic beautiful. executed. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and the title refers to uh, a, a river in Scotland, uh, the River Forth. Ah, See, there you go. Famo famously known as the Firth of Forth. That's it. <laughs> Again, more hints back to Britain. You know, we really are there. They are hitting it home that they they care about the British culture in this album, aren't they? Yeah, they do. They do. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Like the fact that they are. are um, uh, criticizing that—that's that's the political thing. Like we don't want to be so Americanized. Yeah, we want to preserve our culture, which is a uh, uh, and at the same time making a reference to to the Labour Party manifesto. They were cr criticizing uh, Americanism, and yeah. it's funny because it's like you have a um, how things were different. You have the uh, um, the left wing uh, um, manifesto talking about preserving. The culture, which is a conservative that is, yeah, idea. irony, isn't, isn't it? Isn't, yeah. Well, it's just it's it's interesting because it's basically you know how 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 culture can be uh, uh, beyond politics. It can go beyond politics in that sense. It's like uh, it's interesting. I don't. I I I, I really really like the whole concept and the whole the theatrical thing about it. But yeah. then, okay, after that beautiful, extremely prog rock song. You just get into. Well, I'll tell you this: this is the one song I didn't like when I first listened to the album, and it's okay. the only one with Phil Collins on vocals. So <laughs> Phil Collins, I'm, 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 I'm as a drummer, 
I'm, I'm a Phil Collins fan, of course, yeah. and I think he's, uh, uh, regardless of, uh, for, for some of the rock listeners, uh, regardless of Phil Collins' like uh, pop career uh, being the, the, the main thing he did um, and the thing he did for longer, I still think he's a rock musician, he's a rock yeah. drummer, and uh, he proved it in this album. So the fact that he just goes to, he takes the lead vocals for one song, having Peter Gabriel as the lead singer in the band, I mean, how would it, why would you do that? And how can you deliver? And he did. I think now, I didn't like the song. Like, oh, it's just, you know, romantic pop ballad, acoustic. Now I can, I, I it sounded like a BG song to me. <laughs> and uh, well, I, I like them anyway, but okay. I, I didn't like it. I, I think, oh, this song just doesn't belong to the album. I used to skip yeah. that song. And now I've listened to it again. It's like, it's actually a really beautiful piece of yeah. pop music. It's pop music, a bit, a bit of folk, maybe. Well, but the way you, they strum the guitars is very simple, very basic. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me, I've put my notes here. Um, it's kind of like the softer songs that Greg Lake used to sing with ELP. There you go. Which yeah. which might be um, kind of essential to that kind of music, to, to break from the complexity yeah. of the previous song, isn't it? Very good point, yeah, because, you know, when you... I'll tell you honestly, and this is linked to what you just said. I, I, you, I'll tell you in my monologue, but I, I struggled with this album, not in terms of not liking it, but it's when this, when so much happened. Right when we did yes, it was okay because you said go and check these songs, go and check this, and I think okay, here's an 18 minute song, but I, I'm not, I'm not analysing or assessing it. I'm just listening yeah. to get some characteristics because we're doing an album today. I had to go in and I'm not sort of put, I'm not putting my musical analysis hat on but I'm trying to listen for things but when you've got songs that are so long it's hard to pick out characteristics of songs when they change every two minutes <laughs> so it's hard to find a central theme so I think that what you said is perfect because you've got the long with dancing with the moonlit night and then you've got the short with the poppy i know what i like then you've got long again with firth of fifth and then more for me so i think you're absolutely correct as in these little short three or four minute songs i mean again four minutes is too long for a radio but in terms oh, of yeah. Prom, oh sure. yeah in terms of prom, it's really short it feels like <laughs> so, it feels like a punk song you know, exactly like that. Yeah. So it's like two so minutes uh, having it in between those long songs really does break it up and we noticed that emerson lake and palmer did that yes do that as well so i wonder if we are seeing early characteristics or maybe i mean prog prog rock's been going since the late 60s so maybe not not early characteristics but set characteristics of progressive rock music and how to structure an album because it's important man isn't it yeah it is it is i i, I think uh as well if if um peter gabriel had the, all that theatrical influence uh i i can't believe he's not into theater he so yeah. most certainly is so yeah. uh as a storyteller, you need to have like some peaks of tension in your story and complexity yes. and clashes between characters. You have the climax at some point in the story, but you need a you need a release in contrast to that tension. You know, you know Absolutely. that point when when you know there's been a war in a movie, or whatever, and there's that one scene after the war, someone is in a hospital just having a conversation and talking mm -hmm. to a friend, whatever. It's it's that kind of vibe to me. It just it just came from a really tense moment into into that kind of uh, okay, let's just chill and mm -hmm. listen to something a bit more subtle. And I think they totally thought about uh, the track list when they were doing yeah. this. Like maybe we need to put those. They're like the second and the fourth song are like yeah. uh, very, very mild in terms of uh, <laughs> musicianship comparing to the third song. So that makes a lot of sense. So uh, they, 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 they made us a sandwich of, of, uh, uh, a prog a sandwich, sandwich. as I mentioned yeah sorry no I was going to say that the shorter songs are the bread and the longer songs are the cheese the salami the lamb <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's what they and they did it I think they've done it really well yeah, it's a long album eight songs 53 minutes if I'm not wrong something yes. like that yeah it, it, it's it's interesting for you know how how can a long album feel uh, in my opinion it, it feels short when I finished listening to it, it was like i want to go back to the beginning and listen to the first song again yeah and uh so that leads us i mean i 
I, I think I'm going to carry on with, with the song list because it's Perfect, not too yeah. many songs. They're long, but not too many. So the the Battle of Epping Forest, that is that was definitely when I first heard the album, the hardest one for me to understand because of the lyrics. And then you get, but now uh I, I believe it's just like this the, the, the simplest of all the stories they're telling, uh, apart from more for me, which is just uh a relationship uh, not working well, but this one is uh, um, it's a battle of gangs. Yeah, in East, in, Epping, in, East London. Epping, yeah, yeah. I see. And yeah. they, they describe the cars and the and and and, and the gangsters and the, but that's what I like about it. Okay, um, I would say <laughs> I would dare to say this is the closest uh, prog rock ever got to hip hop. This is a gangster song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Because <laughs> they're describing those dodgy characters from, from and, East London. Yeah. And, he's, and it's fast paced in terms of vocals. And it yeah. is the least melodic, melodical uh, vocal line of the whole album. Yeah. His voice is still amazing. He's still like uh, perfectly in tune all the time. It's, it's beautiful. But it's, it's almost or as close as he would get to a spoken word, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Because he does that Cockney accent, doesn't he? And then oh, he does at some about, point, yeah. About five minutes, 45. Again, because these are long songs, any bits I noticed, I did just take a little time uh, check out. <laughs> at five minutes, 45, he does this, he has this kind of avant-garde vocal style, almost art pop, like we heard with Bowie in uh, Hunky Dory, very Lou Reed-esque. Um, yeah. it, you're right, the spoken word thing. He sings, but there is a lot of time where he does the Cockney accent, Accent, the avant-garde vocals where he's having a conversation with you yeah exactly and, it, and it's <laughs> it's cool isn't it because when i first heard the song uh, without understanding much of english it was like oh it's about like a medieval battle isn't it you know, it, and it, it sounds it at the start it's got a medieval it starts sound, isn't exactly it? it starts with that's that's what i find beautiful about the beginning and the ending of this song so it starts with a marching snare drum yeah like perfectly executed by phil collins like Technically speaking, it's just perfect. If you're a drummer, listen to that. It's just amazing. It, from from the tuning of the snare to, the, to the, the execution of the technique itself. So you have that marching uh, snare with flute, isn't it, at the beginning? Yes, so yeah, yeah. It, does, it, it does sound like it could be uh, uh, medieval or or colonial times, you know, and that's the, I think that, that's the intention, right? And at the end, so, so isn't that a reference to the fact that since the beginning of times, people fight for territory and they kill themselves for stupid reasons and stuff like that. Yeah. And at the very end, they criticize this kind of stuff with a perfect line. There's no one left alive. It must be a draw. <laughs> but, you know, I was reading about this song and it's a bit of a ballad. And just for clarity, what ballad means literally in music terms means a song that tells a story. I know that these days we think a ballad is a slow song that you can romantically dance to, but it's a, it is a ballad in terms of it's telling a story. And he wrote characters in these battles. Um, and the band thought that the lyrics weren't as serious as they should be because he's talking about a battle going on between gangs. And in the end, one of the last, or in the last verse or the last section, uh, he he talks about the winner being chosen by the flip of a coin. Yeah. It's just crazy because that goes back to what you said about a draw. You fight. It was a draw because everyone, but the funny thing is like yeah. everyone dies. <laughs> so it's a draw. I love that. It's, it's, that is... That is like for me. That's British humor at its best because it that's a total. That's a total mistake. Like, oh, everyone died, so yeah. it must be a draw. Okay, if it's a draw, we need to flip the coin. Yeah, <laughs> to see what. <laughs> and I'm so British. When there was no. Yeah. There's no one alive. Why would you pick a winner? <laughs> it's just brilliant. Oh God, yeah. Let's um, flip the coin. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Then uh, track six of the album comes the song after the ordeal, and I sh I'm sure the ordeal being the battle, and this is after yeah. it, and it is a lovely kind of pseudo classical song written by Hackett and Rutherford. Um, there is elements of the poppier stuff that creeps in on top of this orchestral performance, isn't it? Yeah, 
because yes. you've got the, the this classical music. And actually, do you know what? A lot of the band didn't want it on the album, apparently, and it was intended to be a fully electric, but then they turned it acoustic. Which it I thought turns was, electric halfway through. It does, yes. But even in the start, you've got it acoustic, but also you've got the keyboards underneath as well. Yeah. Which is yes, funny because do. it's kind of the contrast of these acoustic classical instruments, which is reflecting the old times, classical music, English heritage, whatever, and then your your modern synths and keyboards coming in, the newer times, the Americanism, you know, just that yeah. contrast. Well, maybe well that maybe that was intentional. If if it wasn't, it worked anyway. Exactly. And, yeah. and again, it's when they um when you don't expect anything to happen, we think, well, that's clearly like a transition between two songs, an instrumental transition. Then halfway through, you just have the groove mm-hmm. and the guitar solo, so it becomes even more electric and more groovy halfway yeah. through so it's it's it sounds to me like a two-part song i agree yeah and no, i agree with that yeah. um should we go cinema show cinema show so if you consider uh you know um Isle of plenty as uh again a transition maybe or a reference to the beginning of the album so that would be effectively the last song the cinema show would be yes if, uh, to all effects the the actual uh ending of the album in my opinion and yeah so let's go into that that's um it's well, a modern day uh, version of Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? <laughs> is it? What do you mean, like lyrically? Oh, it is lyric. Yeah, it mentions Romeo and Juliet in the story, so that it's uh, so that she's you know she's late for her cinema show. I mean, they go into the cinema stuff like that. So it's yeah. So there is uh, uh, um, so the lyrics were written by Tony Banks and uh, Ruta Ford as well. So the the uh, the bass player. So um, they were actually inspired, though, by a T.S. Eliot poem called "The Wasteland." Um, so again, more, more inspiration from, from other sources like poetry, you know. Yeah, and exactly, and it's a slightly more sexualized than than Shakespeare would do for this uh, <laughs> uh, version of their version of uh, Romeo and Juliet. So yeah. uh, Romeo is um, he's got some clear intentions of what he wants to do with her, <laughs> and it's uh, and it's. Uh, uh, so you have basically uh, British poetry. You have t- you have uh, Shakespeare and T. S. Eliot and yeah. and Greek mythology, and it's like it's all in there. You know? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. But musically, we again we've got another very orchestral style song. You got the flute in there. You got the oboe. You got the twelve string guitars. You got the dual vocal harmonies as well. Um, I thought it was really nice. And again. It's just funny how heavily the classical influence came in towards the later part of the album. It's definitely there at the start, but they kind of lean on it more towards the end, which I love. Um, but yeah, then the second half of the song, again, another song that changes halfway through, where it just goes into 7-8 and you've got that keyboard solo. Isn't that a fantastic solo? It is. And um, well, as a drummer, I have to mention, you say it goes to 7-8, right? So you have like, Phil Collins playing those really complex time signatures, really complex rhythms, and he couldn't read music. He still, he still can't read music. He's not he's not a trained musician in that sense, and mm. he's, he's just a very very musical uh, guy, isn't it? It's like it's it's, it's I got to say this: the drumming in this album it's perfect, start mm-hmm. to finish. It Phil is. Collins is. In my opinion, at that time, he was as good as Carl Palmer, as uh, uh, Bill Bruford, all all like uh, a prog rock drummers you can possibly mention. He was as good as those guys, but people still remember him as a uh, lead singer. Well, for that very reason, it's why I've never considered him to be one of the top drummers, because, you know, I've always thought of him as the singer and the pop singer of Genesis. Never thought of him as a prog drummer, but he really does shine on this album, and especially this song, The Cinema Show. Um, This is another song where I thought the space for the musical elements to breathe were fantastic. A lot of repeated musical phrases and sections, but ultimately it's satisfying. Think of the stage show we're talking about. Think of the book Felipe talked about. Imagine you're at a section in a book, and there's a sort of a scene that's going on, and... Stuff's happening, but it's happening between characters. And in the background, you just got this music going over and over that's perfect and it's correct and it's appropriate, but you just got it going over and over. And until that scene's finished and you're ready to move on to something else, 
i.e. a keyboard solo. You just keep hearing it and it builds you up perfectly to take you into that keyboard solo. Fantastic arrangements and songwriting on this album, man, isn't it? They, 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 they really have nailed it. Yes, they have. They have. And I think it just, it just occurred to me that this album for me is like a perfect soundtrack for a theatrical storytelling of British culture. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how I see it. And it's almost like you would, you'd, if I can imagine with what you just said happening, you'd go into this album asking to remove the vocals from the album, leaving the music and then writing scenes over each song, you know, but nothing against the vocals. They're fantastic. But just in terms of putting on a a theater show, of yeah. British culture, you could write uh, scenes with actors for each section yeah. of the songs, couldn't you? Exactly, exactly. It's what it is. I mean, it's, uh, um, and you could even say that, uh, uh, like Peter Gabriel is is like the um, uh, the main character, you know, in in, in a theatre yeah. play, and you have probably Tony Banks as the director. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's something like that. You know, yeah. and uh, and yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's perfectly executed uh, all the way through, and uh, and whatever idea they had in mind, I think they've managed to accomplish. Yeah, you know, what yeah. an album! What an album! What did you have a favorite song? Uh well, the opening track for sure. Oh, you said that, yeah, you love that. No. Yeah, I think it's no, no, it's not because I said it's my favorite opening track, but could be, could, but it's still my favorite song in the album. Which it's it's hard when you start with such a good song and you you, you have to match that quality throughout the whole album, which I that's, think they did anyway. That's a really good point because yeah. with yeah, I, I I struggle in general with prog because it's not the sort of music I listen to, so. If there's a song, if you've started me off with an 18 minute song, no, not this album, just sort of giving an example, but if you start me off with an 18 minute song, then to, to have held my attention for that long, and I don't mean me, Laz, I mean in general, the listener, yeah. to have held my attention for that long, you've got to match it with the following songs because then you're asking, yeah. okay, well, we did the 18 minute song, fucking hell, now there's a 12 minute song to come. And if you're not enjoying it, it's going to be hard to carry on. But you're right that the quality of this album, whilst I do think the first track is probably my one of the best, I like Firth of Fifth, which is the third song. It, it all matches up. The quality is all there. It's consistent throughout the album, isn't it? Yes, it is. Fantastic it's, songwriting and musical achievement. Yeah, yeah brilliant and, stuff. And, and, and for me, like when every time they go into a quiet section, you you feel like, okay, cool, that's it. Uh, that's it. They, they they're gonna just like lead to the end, and then something comes, something happens. They <laughs> yeah. they they keep surprising you, it's like, and they still surprise me to this day after having listened to this album. Uh, I don't know a hundred times. You know? Yeah. Something like that. I think it's anyway. a good, good place to wrap things up. Um, yes. What do you? What's what's rock and roll about this album to you? What makes this album a classic rock and roll album that you think everyone should listen to? For what reasons? Oh, wow, that's tough. Uh, I think it's as we said time and time again. The musical freedom is the fact that they don't bother playing it a piece of classical music as an introduction to something that sounds almost like hard rock yeah. uh, j- just uh, just before playing a romantic pop ballad uh, on acoustic guitar so like the fact that they don't don't really care what's going to happen next in a certain way it's yeah. very polished it's very like it's like we can do whatever we could just play 15 minutes of uh, songs uh highly complex but we decided to stick this four-minute pop ballad in the middle because whatever, because that's what we want to do. And we decided to to give the lead vocals to the drummer for one song. So that is like that that freedom of of uh, of telling the story with quality, but in any way you want. And uh, I agree and with they, that. They, yeah, they piece things together. They put like bits and pieces of different compositions and make one song out of it that's very rock and roll to me like mm-hmm. it, it, it cl- they clearly had uh, uh, pieces of songs that could have been different songs so we're going to make one song out of all of this yeah this is very very rock and roll specifically no you're right rock. No, i agree with you man i agree with you um 
That's great stuff, man. I'll give you my little... I'll do the little last monologue thing. Um, yes, I'll my favourite part of the show. I liked it. I thought there were some songs on there that I would go back and listen to, but it, it was all just slightly too poppy for me. Um, but again, no slight on the album, and I'm here to be objective. So here's my... Mo- but just so you know my thoughts going into my little monologue. Um, so I've got... Something I enjoyed about the album was the blend between prog, rock, and pop. They made effortless transitions from one to the other. Peter Gabriel's lead vocals really soft and suit the pop style, whilst the music has enough of each other style to create a balanced approach to the music. And what I mean by this is that there are moments of progginess with odd time signatures, dissonant and jazzy chords that stand out. But then to counter that, there are plenty of really agreeable hard rock and pop style melodies and music that is much more agreeable to the listener and makes for a much more pleasant listening experience. The other aspect I loved is how much time they gave to the music in their songs. I've already mentioned this. Uh, They let certain riffs and sections go on and breathe as opposed to just jumping from section to section unnecessarily. It really built up and prepared you for the oncoming solo as opposed to just jumping straight into a solo, which I know some prog bands do. I think the blend of these styles which we're hearing takes it away from the wanky prog style that we've touched on before. But because of the pop influence, it seems a lot more like a musical theatre score than a prog album and for that reason it was enjoyable listening to it for the story listening to you know the the story they've written listening to it as an experience and from the first note he sings of the whole album the whole thing felt theatrical and if i don't think of it as oh yeah i'm gonna drive drive here today what should i put on should i put on uh more fall of me no it has to be the whole experience and i think that's what they wanted for it and i think that's what they wrote for so yeah those are my thoughts on the album wow oh wow man as usual i really really enjoyed the the monologue (laughs) it's it's definitely my favorite part of the show especially because i don't i don't need to say anything on that part uh so uh it's it's yeah man you described it really well and it's interesting to think that both peter gabriel and phil collins went on to uh uh create the template of of uh uh, for for modern pop music pretty much in the 80s they're so influential you know as i mentioned songs like sledgehammer by peter gabriel and in the air tonight by phil collins they they changed the way people uh uh listen to and play and and write pop music i just Uh, you can tell that in order to do that in order to recreate a style uh you need to be musically really good and and i'm not i'm not into pop music as much as i am into rock music of course that's why we have the show isn't it but uh the fact that they 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 started together in a prog rock band i think is what allowed them to expand their music vocabulary and made Mm -hmm. them the 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 extremely creative artists that they are yeah and and, you know I just I love the fact that you know at the end of last year we did uh, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac didn't we and yeah. that's an album that is so hugely credited with pushing uh, with the transition from rock into pop music in the late 70s yeah. yet 5 years before that you've got this one doing the same thing from a di- in a different yeah. country I just love it I I love the genealogy of music man because you can hear a pop song from 1982 and you can in it I don't have any in mind I'm just saying generally and in it you can hear the harmonies and production from Rumours, but yet you can hear the synths and softness of the vocals from Genesis. I, I fucking love it, man. <laughs> Music great, is great, man. isn't it? <laughs> Music is great. I mean, especially when when you can, when you can actually create without having to without having to please anyone. And and, yeah. and those like geniuses of rock music, there were guys who were not trying to please. I think yeah. they were try they were trying to please themselves. Yeah. And uh, and. Uh, and accidentally, they would uh, uh, reach people and 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 communicate with uh, a, a, a huge number of people. I guess I think that's one thing is missing nowadays in music, which is uh, just allow the artist to do whatever they want yeah. and let's see if it sells, in, instead of thinking about how to make it commercial before you actually start writing songs you know that's it. there's uh, a fantastic anyway. there's a fantastic frank zap of interview where he does this for a couple of minutes and he just talks about um he says there was a there was a huge transition from the 70s to the 80s where in the 70s you had um producers and label executives saying 
let's give it a shot. You know, bands like Pink Floyd, like Genesis, let's give it a go. But then as the 70s went on and sort of turned into the 80s, you had more, no, we can't take a risk on this. It's got to be three minutes. It's got to have a lovely chorus. We can't take a risk on this. And Zappa just said, well, you know, what happened to the days of, who knows? Let's let's give it a go. So that, that's a fantastic interview, one of my favourite ones. So I'll, I'll put that as a YouTube video along with the show notes. Um, but yeah, anyway, good good place yeah. to end it, man. Thanks for choosing. Yeah, man. Like, like I said, you know, I'm happy to say it wasn't anywhere near one of my favourite albums that we've done or that uh, I prefer other Genesis stuff, you know. But it was so good to get into it and see what was under their skin and getting into their mind about this battles in Epping Forest about the, the decline <laughs> of English culture and the rise of Americanism and it, G- it gangster frog gangster frog <laughs> <laughs> but no make no mistake man you know just because it wasn't my favorite album it was still a pleasure to listen to and a pleasure to hear executed so fantastically well by a by a fantastic band isn't it yeah it is amazing musicians excellent it- Anyway, right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. As usual, we'll be with you again two weeks from now. Um, Felipe, where can they find us? Oh, you guys can find us on a place called the Internet. One day I want us to I want us to say you can actually find us on page 300 of the Yellow Pages book where we're listed under a private business. <laughs> like the old page. How do, how do I find your how do I find your plumbing company? Oh, well, we're in the yellow pages. Oh, so I've got to get yellow pages. I've got to go to plumbing. Now you just Google it now. We should do the opposite. We should be the answer. <laughs> yeah, just, just go back to the yellow pages. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah, you can find us on the internet. And uh, thanks for being with us again. Um, remember, don't do anything I wouldn't do. And uh, and keep on rocking everyone. <laughs> yeah, never do anything Felipe wouldn't do. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. And as always, long live rock and roll.